glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Luke chapter 1, uh, in just a moment, we'll read Colossians 1.18, a verse that we are familiar with, at least part of it. I'll just read it. It says, concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Uh, We know without a doubt that it is the will of God that Jesus Christ should have the preeminence in all things. Again, I don't know. uh, I think everybody learns a little bit differently. To me, one of the most effective tools of learning, though, is to get a term and have it defined by the example of somebody's life. I think it's one of the reasons God gives us uh, people to teach us pastors and teachers and so forth. One of the things that he says is that we are to be in samples to those that are being taught, meaning the life is supposed to illustrate the concepts being taught. Uh, And so when we look at Joseph and Mary, and we've seen, of course, Mary on Sunday night, we focused on her again. But when you look at their lives, I, I, I say this often, you know that I've preached on them much as a couple, but I admire very much, especially the character Joseph, the man Joseph. I admire Old Testament Joseph, and I think I, I about equally admire the New Testament Joseph. I think the similarity of their names is a reflection on the similarity of their character. They are two very similar individuals. I find people in the Bible that when we have a picture of them, they are blameless, and they, are, they have a high caliber of character, of godliness. I find that to be worthy of notice and of following their example. And so uh, we look at these people tonight, and it's amazing to me the reasons we would admire Joseph. Uh, there's not a person in here that can't follow his example. We do not admire him for his earthly attainments. I don't know what Joseph was worth monetarily when he died, nor do you. I don't know what he accomplished that any man would give him credit for at all. The only reason we give credit to Joseph tonight is because God preserved the record of him in Scripture. If it weren't for that, we wouldn't have a clue who the man was. It's not because he was lauded of other people. In fact, he was ridiculed of others, misunderstood, misrepresented, all those things. And one of the things I'm reminded of at this season in my life right now is better be very, very, very careful to not live for what men perceive us to be. We must live for what God knows us to be. And if we live for what men perceive us to be, we'll get off course in a hurry. And by the way, every one of us has the temptation to do that. So I look in the lives of Joseph and Mary, and I find people of great integrity, but I believe the integrity is because Jesus Christ had preeminence. Every fruit in our life is going to flow out of that. I've preached on Joseph and Mary many times as an example of the way a home and a marriage should function. I don't know of, of besides Zacharias and Elizabeth, Joseph and Mary are some of the best couples in the Bible that we have represented. I, I, I'm not going to preach on Jacob and Leah or Jacob and Rachel or Jacob and or Jacob and not a good example for marriage, right? There's a lot of people, a lot of couples in the Bible you can't use. We're not going to use Ananias and Sapphira as a template for marriage, right? Uh, there's just most couples in the Bible, they're not really that good of an example. But Joseph and Mary are a good one. And here's why. Jesus Christ had preeminence in both of their lives. And therefore, he had preeminence in their home. Something the Lord, I believe the Spirit of God has led me to pray, and I'm certain he'll lead us each to pray this, is that he would have preeminence, first of all, in me. And when we pray, that's his will. So we know when we ask for that, and I think it's best 
not just to pray it would be so. We already know it's God's will, but that he would teach us to give him the preeminence in all things because that's God's will. But that he would not only have preeminence in my heart, but he'd have preeminence in my wife's heart. Not only in my heart and her heart, but in Cason's and Braden's and Colton's and Dawson's and Adeline's and Shalin's and right on down the line. And then he would have preeminence in your heart. I believe this. If Jesus Christ is truly preeminent, in our lives, we'll not be praying for revival. We'll be experiencing it. I believe that. We may not know we experienced it until later. But I really believe what happens is if, if, if Christ has already been received and he's my Savior, that doesn't necessarily mean he's preeminent. That doesn't mean he has the place that he's supposed to have. And so with that in mind, I want you to, tonight and myself will consider the message and say, is that, is that the position, the place that Christ has in, in my life, in, in, in my heart? And so now we're in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and it says, In the sixth month, and in the sixth month, uh, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she uh, saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of David forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Now back to Matthew chapter 1, where we find Joseph being introduced uh, to the truth of the, the coming of Christ. Matthew chapter 1. And while this is not when Joseph and Mary came initially to faith in God's way of salvation, I do believe their personal reception of the Lord Jesus Christ is a nice and and beautiful picture of what salvation does look like in the life of a person. We are saved by receiving the Savior. Amen? He can't be preeminent in your life if he's not in your heart. He dwells in our hearts by faith. And I'm kind of pre pretexting my first point here, but we just find that Mary was not, she didn't get up that day thinking about, I wonder if God will send his son today and birth him through my womb. It was something that God revealed to her, and she had to respond to revelation. Same with Joseph, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. 
Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, this question, if you go out and just find somebody on the street today and you were to say to them, hey, I want you to understand that God would like to dwell in you. Now, if a person, the average person we run into, if you told them that, what do you think is the kind of, because some of us, that's basically what we're doing. We're handing out tracts and talking to people. We're saying God is desirous to make it, and we may not say that right off the bat, but God is interested in you. How do many people respond to the invitation of the gospel today? Somebody help me here tonight. Those of you who are talking to people on a regular basis about the Lord, how do many people respond? Let me ask you this. Is it like this? Seriously? You're telling me that God is willing to, uh, to, to save me? God is willing to actually literally live inside my body? How many of you have had anyone in the last six months or six years respond like that to you? Now, why not? How many of you have ever gotten that far where you can explain that's what takes place at salvation? That Christ will come and wash your sins away, forgive you of your sins. How many of us would agree that most people, when given the gospel today, don't take it very seriously? Now, I don't know that that's been different in other periods of time. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way. But Mary and Joseph, they took it seriously because they believed God. They believed that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And I just want to say this. Before we'll focus on the preeminence of Christ, you have to see the presentation of Christ and how they responded. And i just make a very simple point here. In the message in Luke 1 and in Matthew 1, as the, 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 the presence of Jesus Christ, the birth of Jesus Christ through Mary's womb is presented It is presented to them in an honest fashion. If there's some instruction for us here tonight, it can help us in our endeavor to tell others of the Savior. I believe we need to be always, always, always straightforward and honest with people about just exactly who Jesus Christ is and what takes place when He saves somebody. How many know today it requires a miracle of God for someone to be born again? For Christ to dwell inside of someone takes a miracle. We say the virgin birth is a miracle, and that's true. The new birth is equally miraculous. In fact, the virgin birth is a picture of the new birth. There was nothing in Mary that gave her the ability to birth the Son of God outside of her faith. Nothing made uh, a room for him in her womb more than believing God. There was no natural process carried out. There was no work of the flesh that was accomplished. All that happened is God says, I am going to place my son in your womb. And she said, I believe you for it. May I say this, salvation's no different. As much as it took a miracle for Jesus to, to dwell in her womb, it takes a miracle for him to dwell in our hearts. God says, I am willing. By the way, the Bible makes it clear. Some say you don't receive Christ into your heart. The Bible says he dwells in our hearts by faith. We actually do. Faith is, is, a, is, a, is a response of the heart to God, and he dwells in our hearts by faith. And all I'm trying to say is this. Before Christ became preeminent in their home, he was received into their home. And it was not, Joseph did not receive Christ for he and Mary, and Mary did not receive Christ for she and Joseph. It was an individual matter. 
Mary was presented with the truth that she would bear the Lord Jesus Christ in her womb, and she said, Be it unto me according to thy word. It caused conflict between the two of them. She received him first. She got the message first. She heard first that God was willing to have her son, his son dwell and be born through her womb. Joseph doesn't know what's going on because he hasn't had the same message she has. By the way, you can see how that adds up. You see two people that are married or, or are interested in getting married and one of them gets saved, it gets confusing and it causes problems, does it not? So what happens is, is then the gospel or the, the message is given to Joseph. And just again, very simplistic in this first point. The presentation of Christ, by the way, how was he presented? By the word of God. By the word of God. An angel, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, says this is what God's going to do. He references Old Testament scripture in saying that the Lord Jesus would sit on the throne of his father David. That's reference to the Old Testament Davidic covenant. He said he's going to be a savior. Uh, his name will be Jesus, save his people. Uh, and so the word of God reveals what God's going to do. Mary has no physical, tangible evidence for Christ being in her womb other than the word of God by the angel Gabriel. Same for Joseph. His comes via a dream. An angel speaking to him in a dream. And he says that the Lord Jesus, that the child that, that she has conceived is of God. And the Holy Ghost has done this. Both of them, the point is, they have to believe what God says for Christ to be present in their lives. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There's much instruction in that. Uh, we, we, I believe this ought to assure you tonight if you're saved. When I got saved, I believe God was willing to save me because he said so. I believe that Jesus Christ was living and had the power to save me because he said so. I believed I needed saved because he said so. My entire perception of my need, his ability, was based on nothing more than the word of God. And the same for you when you got saved. So he was revealed by the word of God. It required faith in the power of God to receive him. Uh, Luke one thirty seven. For with God nothing should be impossible. That had to be said because of what God was saying. It's going to be impossible. And then it was, uh, he was received willingly. Both of them were told what God was going to do. And both of them had to respond by saying, we believe you. Joseph's actions spoke for him. The Bible says when he rose from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord told him to. You know what that tells me? He believed it. His faith was revealed by what he did. Mary's faith was revealed by what she said. She said, be it unto me according to thy word. And I say all that to just liken their reception of Christ. He was presented to them as the miracle son of God. By the way, he was presented in a threefold manner. He was presented to Joseph as God in the flesh. He said his name should be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted is... God with us. They received him knowing who he was. God in the flesh. Again, we're witnessing to people, telling them who Jesus Christ is. We need to present him honestly and truly as God in the flesh. Number two, he was presented as the Savior of his people from their sins. He said, you're going to call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their... I got a question. Were Joseph and Mary part of his people? So when they received Jesus, did they know they were receiving a Savior from their sins? They did. And thirdly, he was presented as king of kings and lord of lords and that it was told that he would reign and rule over his people, Israel. And that's what it was told to Mary in Luke chapter 1, uh, that he would rule and reign in the place of David his father. So he was presented to them as God in the flesh, savior of the people, and a king uh, that would rule forever. And so then they received him as such. They received him willingly as such. Now, I mentioned this on Sunday night, but I just want us to think... 
I want to roll forward because this helps us become very practical in our lives. We have a, we have a way of planning out our lives, and there's nothing wrong with planning. The fact that Joseph and Mary were espoused tells us they were planning. They didn't just say, hey, you want to get married? They had a plan. They were following a tradition of espousal, and God had rules that govern espousal, and the law governed that, and they were people that were planning. So I'm not belittling planning. Don't misunderstand me. Here's what I'm going to preach about for just a moment. When we have plans and God's Word reveals something that He wants to do with Jesus Christ in our lives, and we say, but that's not my plan. Uh, where we, because we have in our world, we have such an ability, uh, we think we have foreknowledge because of our ability to project what's going to happen and our ability to observe uh, things past and patterns around us because of the knowledge that's available to us. And the ability to plan further in the future is greater today than probably it's ever been for humans. And what happens is God's plans do not often coincide with ours. I got a question. Couldn't God have told Joseph and Mary he was going to do this before they got engaged? Well, then wasn't he a little off schedule? Did this not create some difficulty? We have the idea that if God's involved, there'll be no difficulty involved. When God's in it, everything just runs smoothly like a well-oiled machine, right? Don't we think that? Am I the only person that falls into that trap? I mean, if it were me, I would say, here's what God would do to spare them a little bit of friction in their relationship. He would tell them before they're espoused, before their plans, so they don't have to give up their plans. What they can do, let me ask something. Is it harder to have a baby after you're engaged when people are going to think you've done something wrong or maybe prior? I mean, you think it was harder on that relationship for this announcement to come after the espousal or before? Don't you think it would have been a little easier on them as far as the cost involved if they had at least known this before they got engaged to each other? Couldn't God have done it at a different time where Mary wouldn't have looked so suspect or Joseph wouldn't have looked so suspect? Of course he could. He's God. Then why did he do it like he did? So that this message can be preached tonight. Value is demonstrated by cost. You with me? Uh, when we read what missionaries have been willing to give up in their lives so that Jesus Christ can be preached in some other place, what it makes me do is say, oh, how they must love Him. And that's the whole purpose, so that the value of Jesus Christ can be seen through the sacrifices we make in our flesh. We want our value to be seen through the sacrifices we make. But what happens tonight when I read the sacrifice that Joseph and Mary made and the things that Jesus cost them, he cost them a lot. A tremendous amount. All their lives he cost them. Then what we can do is go say, well, wow, if that's what the Lord's going to cost you. I don't know if I want to serve him. What it ought to make us do is say, if they were willing to pay that, what is he worth? How great must he be if they didn't even hesitate to say, okay. Do we think Mary was so naive she couldn't perceive what this would look like? 
Do we think Joseph was so naive he couldn't perceive how this would personally affect his home and his marriage? How many of you, how many, today people say we're going to get married and we'll have children in five years or we'll have children in three years because we want to uh, get this amount of money in the bank and we want to have a house spot, we want to do this and people plan those things. Can you imagine that? I don't know what they were planning or what their thoughts were, but saying we're going to have a child before we get married. And there are people that have that happen, but because of sin, not because of righteousness. So here, they're paying a price on their marriage, strain put on their home, plans have to be changed, and whose fault is it? That's not even the right way to think about it. Fault? If I think whose fault it is, then what it says is, I'm losing something that I wish I didn't have to lose. As I read Scripture, I don't find that either one of them had any resentment toward God or toward Christ for messing their plans up. I think they realized what a tremendous high honor it was that God Almighty would put His Son in their home so that they could be distinct and used by God that it never even occurred to them that they lost something because of what they had gained. We often do not value the Lord Jesus Christ as we should, which means we don't love Him like we should. And so then here we see the presentation of Christ, but that brings us to the preeminence of Christ. And here's where I'm going to just reference some things for you uh, because of our familiarity with the text. Their lives were disrupted for His sake. Now, I've already mentioned this, but we see His preeminence in their life in a practical way in that they received Him though they knew His presence would disrupt their plans. Now, often, we'll yield to Christ and give Him His place as long as it coordinates with our already made plans. They had plans to be married, to be espoused. I don't think that having a baby in Bethlehem in a stable was in their plans. I'm just guessing not. That was something that happened. And by the way, it was in God's plan all along. You can go back in the Old Testament Scripture and realize he had to be born in Bethlehem. And that meant there had to be a taxation that they weren't planning on. There had to be travel when she was expecting a baby and he had to be born of a, in, in a humble manner. And There were prophecies fulfilled that could have only been fulfilled that way. And so God's plan was very clear. He was not confused a bit. Can you imagine how confusing it might have been to Joseph and Mary? But the fact is, once Jesus Christ was in their home and in their lives... His presence determined everything. (laughs) Everything. It would determine where they would live over the next years to come. Not them, but Him. Uh, So His presence disrupted their lives. Their lives were disrupted because of His presence. But again, do you ever read of any resentment? I don't. Because they realized who was in their lives. They realized the treasure they had in an earthen vessel. And so then uh, their lives were disrupted. Their plans were changed. Uh, How they must have been... I mean, people are people. And these were both good people looking forward to the beginning of their home together, their marriage together, when they might have their first child. And none of this could have been in their plans. And so God disrupted their plans. And their lives were disrupted for the sake of Christ. Number two, their lives were denied for His sake. Now, how many of you, uh, ladies know that bearing a child brings a level of discomfort to you. I didn't ask the men because we hadn't got a clue, but the ladies know. Now, Mary had never born a child before, but she knew other women that had. 
And Christ in her life brought a level of discomfort in her body. You know, the effect of a pregnancy on a body is very practical. You know what? Joseph uh, is waiting to marry his wife. He's waiting for them to enjoy life together, but he has to put everything on hold until after this child is born. So you realize everything. Schedule, when the wedding will take place, when marriage and all these things are going to take place is revolving around Jesus. All of it. Their future is now revolving around the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, their lives were denied for Christ's sake. I want to remind us of something tonight. The presence of Christ affected the bodies of these two people in a very practical, personal way, particularly Mary. And I say this, Christ cannot dwell in your body without affecting your body. There is a de-emphasis today on the body of the Christian, but there is an emphasis of it in the Bible. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves, a living sacrifice, your bodies. Your bodies. This makes Christianity, makes the presence of Christ very practical. God wants your hands for His use. He wants your mouth for His use. He wants your feet for His use. He wants every part of your body for His use, but He allows you to either withhold it or present it. And you are to present your body a living sacrifice. I believe when Mary said, Be it unto me according to thy word, she's saying, Lord, I know that what you've just proposed to me is going to have a direct impact on how my body is going to be used, but you do with my body what you please. Well, that's not the world we live in. We hear the abortionist crowd say, it's my body, I can do what I want. We hear the immoral crowd and the indecent and immodest crowd say, it's my body, I can do what I want. Hey, if we're saved tonight, it's God's body. And he's supposed to have it for his use. Now, on the contrast, listen, young people, especially if God wants to use your body, so does Satan. Yes? Satan is after bodies He doesn't care if it's the body of a swine or the body of a human. He wants to demonstrate his destructive power through sin, through bodies. Because you know what? I can't see your soul and I can't see your spirit, but I can see your body and you can see mine. Holiness is demonstrated in the body. Unholiness is demonstrated in the body. And I want to see tonight that the preeminence of Christ had a direct, practical, personal impact on the bodies of these people how their bodies were being used. This was not the plan Mary had for her body, but it was the plan God did. He said, I want my son to be born through your womb, and she yielded to that. And so then 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? He dwells in our hearts. He does, but our heart is housed in our bodies. Know you not that, the, that, that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost, which you have of God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Please hear me. Any crowd today that wants to de-emphasize the impact of the presence of Christ on your body are sinning with their body 9.9 times out of 10. That's why they're de-emphasizing that. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. That's true. But God who looks on the heart says the effect of your heart should say to you to give your body to me and let me use it the way I want. That includes the tongue, every part. Amen? And so then 
their lives were denied for Christ's sake. They denied using their bodies. By the way, the Bible says they did not know one another in the physical bodily sense until after Jesus was born. May I say that was something that was lawful, but they forwent it for Christ's sake. Are you with me tonight? That's, Paul said all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. They said we want to shed no doubt whatsoever on the miraculous power of who's being born. So we will forego what is lawful for us for the honor of Jesus Christ. People talk about standards and things that we should say no to. When, when, you know what a standard is? It is where I say I'll say no to me. We talk about standards. That's what it is. It's when I have decided for the sake of Jesus Christ to say no to self. By the way, if I am not saying no to myself, I am not a disciple. Is that not true? He said, if any man will be my disciple, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. Let him deny himself. Now, by the way, self-denial for the sake of self-denial turns into asceticism, which is sin. It's nothing but hypocrisy and false righteousness. We're talking about saying no to self for the cause of Christ. If Mary and Joseph had not foregone what was lawful, it would have cast a doubt on whether or not he was truly a miracle child. And they wanted there to be no doubt about the truth that that child was the Son of God. It would not have changed the fact he was the Son of God, but would have cast doubt in the minds of other people as to whether or not he was the Son of God. Listen to me tonight. You and I have liberty to say no to ourselves anywhere we need to so that Jesus Christ is not doubted to be who he truly is. And there are folks today who won't say no to self because self is what's on the throne instead of the Savior. But when he's on the throne, as he was in the heart of Mary, and he, as he was in the heart of Joseph, they were able to go through discomfort in their lives, discomfort in their minds, discomfort in their bodies, for the privilege and the honor of having Jesus Christ in their lives and carrying him about uh, from here to there. So their lives were disrupted for his, sakes, their, their sake, uh, his sake. Their lives were denied for his sake. Their names were defamed for his sake. John chapter 8, verse 41. John chapter 8, we know this. We're going to read this one. John 8, 41. This is years and years later. Jesus is in his earthly ministry. So over 30 years later. The Bible says, in seeking to discredit Jesus Christ, what do they say? Jesus says, Ye do the deeds uh, of your father. Then said said they to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Thirty plus years later, and Mary and Joseph are still being accused of sin. Now, don't miss this. Did they take every step humanly possible and necessary to guard the integrity of their name and relationship and to make sure that people knew that Jesus was not a result of sin but a result of a miracle? But they were still accused of doing wrong. Now, don't miss me tonight. You can take every step in your life that you're supposed to in order to honor the name of the Lord. And there are people that hate Him that are still going to accuse us because they hate Him. You know why they accused Joseph and Mary of fornication? Not because they were guilty, but because they hated Jesus Christ. If I try... Here's here's my point to you tonight. Please don't miss it. If I try to develop a Christian life that is free of defamation and free of slander... I will create a false form of Christianity. 
There's no such thing. You cannot so perfectly execute the Christian life so as to avoid false accusation and slander. You can't. It hurts when people bring up sins we've committed. Does it not? You know what hurts worse? When people accuse you of sins committed because you did what was right. That hurts worse. Matthew chapter 5, very quickly, I'll read this. Matthew chapter 5, the Lord Jesus didn't say if, but when these things happen, we're to rejoice and be exceeding glad. He says in verse 9, excuse me, verse 10 of Matthew 5, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you, not if they shall revile you, when, and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely, for my sake. Were Joseph and Mary not accused falsely for Jesus' sake? They took the heat because they received him. They took the heat because he had preeminence in their lives. But you know what? They seemed to be glad about it. Not mad about it. Again, don't you think Mary knew these accusations would fly? She does not mention it in Matthew in Luke chapter 2 when she's rejoicing after or Luke 1 when she's rejoicing after meeting Elizabeth she doesn't say my spirit hath rejoiced in God my savior but I really dread all that's coming down the line she was so elated to have the son of God dwelling in her that she could rejoice in spite of those things. She would rejoice later, even after the cross. We find her still faithful, as we saw on Sunday night in Acts chapter 1. So the, the preeminence of Christ is revealed in the life of Joseph and Mary and that their lives were disrupted for his sake, their lives were denied for his sake, their names were defamed for his sake. But now I want you to consider the preciousness of Christ. You know what? The preeminence of Christ reveals the preciousness of Christ. And so let's consider a few things. And again, I'm just going to ask you to reference the facts that you already know. But number one, or letter A, they had a comprehension of God that many others don't because Christ was in their home. They got to see God move in ways that no one else got to see. They got to watch the Lord fulfill hundreds of years old prophecies before their eyes. Why? Because Christ was preeminent. They were living their lives around Jesus Christ. Every move they made had to do with one thing, the baby that was in her womb. Everything. It had every decision they were making revolved around the Savior. And so then, and by the way, you don't find them getting off base until that changed, Luke chapter 2, when they left the temple and left him behind and forgot it. Looks to me, by the end of Luke 2, the preeminence of Christ had waned a little bit in their lives and God had to administer some correction. But I want you to know that in Matthew 1, in Matthew 2, in Luke 1, in Luke 2, Mary and Joseph got to see the miraculous for one reason, because Jesus Christ had been responded to correctly in their lives. They had given Him the place that He was worthy of in their hearts and therefore they got to see, they got to hear shepherds come and say, We saw stars tonight and angels in the heavens that told us to come here. Why? Because You know why the shepherds came to the manger? Not because Joseph and Mary were there, but because Christ was there. They got to see the miracle of God working in the lives of other people. You know why? Because Jesus Christ had the proper place in their life. Or people talk about soul winning, but the Lord Jesus Christ is down the line. And so soul winning is some kind of mechanical fleshly effort. i got news for you. That may be something called soul winning, but true soul winning comes from the person where Jesus Christ is preeminent. 
where we, where God through us reveals Christ in our lives and we get to see God working in other people's lives because Christ is in us. Take Christ away from us, we're like the manger, a piece of old nasty wood that's useful for nothing. But what made it worth something was who was in it. Same with us. And so then Joseph and Mary got to see the power of God. They got to see Mary conceive a child without ever knowing a man. What a miracle, because they responded to Christ correctly. They got to see wise men travel from far and bring gold and frankincense and myrrh just in time to fund a trip to Egypt. <laughs> Truth? And they got to see all sorts of things. They got to see God intervene when a wicked king was trying to kill them and they were able to escape his wrath. That's because Christ was in their home. Well, the same thing that made them a target is the same thing that kept them from being hit. You know what made them a target of Herod? You know why Herod was after Joseph and Mary? Because Christ was in their home. You know why he didn't get them? Because Christ was in their home. Paul said that he had gone through many afflictions and troubles and trials and tribulations, but the Lord had delivered them, uh, him from them all. You know what? <laughs> you know what makes us a target for Satan? The presence of Christ. You know what gives us power over Satan? The presence of Christ. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They, they were able to witness the power of God through the virgin birth. They were able to witness the power of God through directing men from afar and fulfilling Old Testament scriptures. They were able to witness the faithfulness of God in keeping his word. They were able to witness the provision of God. God provided them a place for the baby to be born. God provided them the means to travel to Egypt when he said they got to watch God move in miraculous ways. Why? Because Christ was preeminent, not just present, preeminent in their lives. And so then they had comprehension of God, his power, his provision, his peace. That would be a level of peace in knowing, you know what? Satan's out to get us because of God's Son, but he can't because of God's Son. Satan's trying to destroy us, but God directed us time and again. Uh, when it was time, God said to Joseph, go down into Egypt. And when it was time, he said, come out. And when Joseph was about to turn back up into the parts of Galilee, God said, no, go over here. And he stayed aside for a time and went into Nazareth. And all those things, I mean, his very steps were directed by God in a very specific way because Christ was preeminent in their home. And so they got to see the power of God, the provision of God. They experienced the peace of God. They could see the purpose of God. You know what? These two people knew exactly who was in their home. They knew he was the Savior of his people. They knew he was King of kings and Lord of lords. They knew one day something that Simeon referred to as a sword would pierce his own soul. You know how you have a clearer comprehension of what God's doing? The Bible says the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. The fear of God opens the mind to comprehend better what God is doing. Joseph and Mary had a clearer picture of the purpose that God was working out than those around them. Why? Because of the preeminence of Christ in their home. They had protection from God. We already mentioned that. So that's their comprehension. We're talking about the preciousness of Christ. You know what Christ brought into their home? A clearer view of God, a clear view of God that they would not have had without him and could not have without him. We do not know God through our natural reasoning. We know God through Christ Jesus. The things that the Father said, Christ communicated to us, and he does by his Spirit through the Bible today. And so uh, the things of God's Word are spiritually discerned, and so they are communicated to us through the Lord. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, but we have the mind of Christ. Letter B, under the preciousness of Christ, not only do they have comprehension of the Lord, but they had concord in their home. You know what made Joseph and Mary get along so well? 
They both were doing the same thing. Jesus Christ had the same place in both of their hearts. What happened is Mary is told, God says, you're going to bear a son. And she says, yes, Joseph doesn't know. There's no concord. By concord, I mean getting along. No continuity. I'll say this. God commands unity in Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church. But I'll say this as well. There's only one way to have it. Only one. We could fabricate it. We could pretend to have unity. I've seen churches that pretend to have it. And it turns into uh, flattery. It turns into facade. It turns into skin-deep love. The only way to have true unity is for every heart in this room to give Jesus Christ preeminence. To say, I'm going to live my life in, in accordance with who He is. I'm going to let my life revolve around Him and Him alone. It, it, every, every question is answered in, what about Christ? <laughs> what about Christ? And so then when He has preeminence, it unifies those who have given Him May I say this? The church at Corinth, got a question. You might remember what they were called in 1 Corinthians 1 in Corinth? They were called saints, meaning these are saved people. But I have this question. Was there unity in Corinth? So here's where I want to make my point. Christ was present in Corinth, but he wasn't preeminent. What happened in Corinth is people were distracted. They, they, they were carnal, meaning they were still thinking in terms of money. They were still t- thinking in terms of physical pleasure. They were still thinking in terms of this, meaning they were judging their decisions based on this life, how it will turn out here, rather than what, what honors Jesus Christ. That alone. What does He want? What is His will for my life? How does God want me to represent Christ? What does God say as I carry Christ about in my body? What is I, well, instead of the Corinthians thinking that way, they preferred this preacher because he lined up a little more with what they thought. And they preferred this preacher because he lined up a little bit more with the way they think. They preferred personalities. They preferred preferences. I read of a man the other day, and he was way off base. He claims to be a preacher of God's Word and so forth. He said there will always be differences between God's people about doctrine. And and he's really referring to the Bible issue. There will always be doctrinal differences, but we must just simply agree about the gospel, the fact that Jesus died and paid for our sins and raised from the dead. That's what he said. We're going to always disagree about things outside of that, but we have to agree on the basic, and that is that who Jesus is and what he did. Well, the problem with that statement is that is nowhere found in that book. It's just not. The opposite is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to see that we all speak the same thing, that we all have the same judgment. You know what? When it's time for Joseph and Mary to pull up and go to Egypt, there was agreement. We've got a question. Could something have been pulled out of Scripture to say, when people go to Egypt, bad things happen. Abraham went to Egypt when famine came and Abraham got in trouble. Mary might have said, are you going to get a concubine like Hagar if we go to Egypt? Couldn't she? But because Jesus Christ had preeminence in their hearts, when God said, go, they both went with one mind. When God said, return, they both returned. Couldn't Joseph have said, are you making all this up? Are you really with child? But see, Mary didn't tell him she was a child of the Holy Ghost. God told him. Now I say this, when Christ has preeminence in your life, you know who will defend you? God will. God will defend your name. God will take up for you when Jesus Christ has the place he's supposed to in our lives. And so then they had comprehension of God. 
They had concord in their home. They had clarity of direction. Matthew 2, 13 through 23, the Lord specifically, clearly directed their steps. i got news for you. I've had times, and you've had times, where God's so clearly directing steps. You know what my temptation is when God's clearly directing my steps? Boy, he must think a lot of me. To give me such clear direction, I must be a special saint. Do you know why God does that? God gives me such clear direction when my motive is, Lord, I want to represent your son well, so please direct my steps so I do not misrepresent you. And every time, he will direct me so clearly. But once my motives get skewed, my vision gets skewed. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Mary and Joseph wanted the Lord Jesus Christ to have his place, and therefore they got very clear direction. It wasn't, as I said before, until Luke chapter 2 that they got confused about things. Now, you can't miss it. In Luke 2, Jesus has been missing three days, and they get all upset. It's the first time we see it. In, in 12 years, it's the first time we see Mary and Joseph, as recorded in Scripture, as having some, some dis, 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 trouble, some disturbance in their direction. They're confused. Where's he at? Where's, what happened? Is he with us for three days? They thought that he was. You know what happened? He lost that place of preeminence for a short season of time, and they lost their sense of direction. When they should have tarried, they went on. You know what? One thing, one thing, Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church, make sure Jesus Christ has the place He's supposed to have in my heart and everything else will fall in line. Just one thing, that's all. All I've got to concern myself with is, am I right with my Savior today? That's all, nothing else. If I am, He'll call me to what He wants me to do. I don't have to explore all my options. He'll show me what He wants me to do if I just say, whatever you want, that's all I want, is Jesus Christ, the one who died for me, the one who deserves my unfettered love and trust. If He has that place, everything else falls in line. Just one thing. And so then they had clarity in their direction. We know this because that they one day will have a crown. Well, where does the Bible say they'll have a crown? 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Paul said this, I fought a good fight, I've kept faith, I've finished my course. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, and not for me only, but also, also for all them that love his appearing. Now, he's talking about the second coming, but didn't they love his first appearing? Didn't they love his first appearing more than their own lives? Sure they did. You know what? One may say, man, how... <laughs> How can I carry out my Christian service in such a way to guarantee I have a crown? I must simply make sure that Christ has my heart. That's all. He'll direct my steps. He'll tell me what he wants me to do. Uh, He is not going to judge the amount of works, but the sort of works that we do. Truth? That's what 1 Corinthians 3 says. Of what sort they are. Are they fleshly works or are they works done in faith in response to his word? I want to say tonight is this. Look at Joseph and Mary, and we know they were people like us, people who simply trusted God when he said, I'll place Christ in your heart, Christ in your home. And then once he was there, they made every decision based upon the Lord Jesus Christ. They went to Egypt for Christ's sake. They came out of Egypt for Christ's sake. They returned to the temple when they lost him for Christ's sake. He, their lives revolved around him. May I say this tonight? It is so easy. I think if 2020 is... You want to say, why is 2020 so challenging? Well, there's a lot of reasons. But I think what Satan wants to do with the life of the Christian is get our focus off. Get our focus off. Christianity is not some conglomerated recipe of politics and preferences. It is Christ having 
preeminence at all times. Amen. So as we wrap this year up and go into the next, as we think about Christmas, let's look at Joseph and Mary and say, is that me? Is that me? Have I responded to his presentation to me the way they did? If I just taken God at his word concerning his son, that when I believe on him, he does a miracle inside of me, he dwells in me, and if he dwells in me, am I allowing his plan for my life to disrupt my own? Am I denying self for his sake? Am I willing to be defamed for his sake because I know he's worthy? And if so, by the way, he is. I think if you're here tonight, you know that. But what we have to do is get our lives in line with the truth and see that he has the preeminence. Maybe tonight God has been communicating to you a decision you need to make for Christ's sake, not for your sake, but out of love for him because he loved you first. And you may have been delaying saying, "Ah, I know the disruption it's going to cost if I obey. Don't delay. He's worthy. Amen. Mm -hmm.